0: Welcome to STEMiverse Podcast Episode 28. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Nigel Cartmill. Nigel is the founder of AKL Minimakers. Started in 2015, AKL Minimakers delivers parent-led technology workshops for primary and intermediate school-age children. Nigel and other maker members teach design thinking and maker culture skills for prototyping, electronics, coding, digital design, and 3D printing. The workshops run weekly, are financially supported by parents, and are partnered with Auckland Council and the AUT, which is the Auckland University of Technology. Their aim is to grow with the children until they're old enough to become junior tutors, a wider tutor base enabling an increase in class numbers. In this interview, Nigel talks about his journey to start the MiniMakers workshops as a way to help his daughter to learn and build cool stuff and to complement what she was learning at school. This is STEMiverse podcast episode 28. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dalmaris and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics and art better.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Tech Explorations, a leading provider of educational resources for makers, STEM students, and teachers. For a limited time only, go to texplore.com/slash stemiverse and receive Peter's latest ebook, Maker Education Revolution, a book about how making is changing the way that people learn and teach in the 21st century.
0: Hey, Marcus. Okay, Peter. Episode 28. Wow, we're really getting on. Yes, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Like, we've got some uh, really amazing people lately, and we've got one more today. Oh, brilliant. So, today we have Nigel. So, Nigel uh, is based in Auckland, in New Zealand. It's an amazing place. And he's in charge of a mini maker club okay. for young kids. Oh, brilliant. So he's doing some really like amazing things there. And it's taken a lot of initiatives and uh, that's why I thought Nigel would be an ideal guest for our podcast. So thank you for joining us, Nigel. Hi, yeah. I really appreciate it.
1: Welcome. <laughs> okay, good, good to talk to you guys.
0: Could you take a few minutes uh, to tell us uh, a little bit about you, your background, just so that we know who you are and then just bring it to MiniMakers and tell us about MiniMakers and what you do there.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, um, I was born in Leicester, uh, Family immigrated to Auckland when I was eight. So I come from, I guess, a background of engineers. When I think about it, grandfathers were engineers. My father's generation, they all went through national service and learnt trades and engineering through the 1950s, so that Mm -hmm. that shaped them. It's a typical trend, though, the younger uncles and cousins, we're we're all sort of moving into the IT, medicine, accountants, and like myself, architecture. I I went into architecture. So I guess that's not an uncommon trend with families these days, particularly from the Midlands of England.
0: So moving from a trade to like an
1: kind of an engineering or
0: office job? Is it what you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can sort of see that across the board, can't you with, mm, with mm. the majority of. of course, armies, yeah. so that's my background.
0: Upward social mobility.
1: Mm. Well, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. And um, I've always had an interest in aviation from an early age, and I sort of wondered where that came from. Um, I had Vulcan uh, V bombers flying over my house in England. <laughs> very, very mm. low. you know what? Have you ever seen what they're like? Uh, not flying. Falkland Wars, yeah. oh, Falkland War, that was the bomber that... Uh, What's that? Isn't that the one they used in the Falkland initially to do the exactly. bomb? Yeah, exactly, the, the the V-bomber, yeah, the Vulcan bomber. And uh, we range. were obviously in the flight path of a um, RAF base, and my mother used to scream, and I had to run upstairs and watch this great big Delta fly over the house, shaking the windows. And um, it was like the opening of the first Star Wars movie. Do you remember when that mm. Delta appeared? Oh, yeah, yeah. At the yeah, beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah, like, so I think that shaped my interest in aviation. I've always been interested in museums and uh, entertaining me at a young age. It was always the zoo, I guess, um, uh, looking at the airplane at museums. Uh, teenagers, uh, as a teenager at school, I enjoyed science, physics, woodwork, engineering, tech drawing. I could have applied myself a bit better at maths and English, but uh, Shakespeare wasn't my bag, really. You know, uh, I was rather into, uh, let's say, Blade Runner would have been more my thing, I, th- I think, at school. But um, let's not go there. Um, I, I was always interested in more uh, research outside of the curriculum. Um, for example, uh, with tech drawing, I did a major project by not just drawing an engineering block or just something quite random. I, I went to the museum and um, researched how the V1 pulsejet engine worked and mm-hmm. drew that. Hmm. Uh, the museum helped me do all the measurements and and look inside the engine and et cetera. So um, Sorry, which great. museum was that? Uh, I went to, uh, there was a V1 flying bomb on the ground in Motat, so I was able to measure it. And there was one hanging in the air at, um, uh, in the War Memorial Museum in Auckland. So it was, Auckland, the, and it was had, an original, had, right? Yeah, and they had, not the, copy. Mm, and they had hmm. the flat valve grid out the back of the museum, hmm. which is the inside of the uh, engine. So I was able to measure that up and take wow. photographs. Yeah, so, so that's the sort of thing I did. And and this is sort of, I grew up in the 80s, uh, early 80s at school before, you know, that rampant consumerism. We did mm. up cars with our older brothers. We're always mending and stuff and making things. And one of the wackiest things I, I, I've done, uh, I've got to say is, I call it like punk innovation. Uh, I was co-opted onto a soccer team in short notice and I needed football boots. I mean, these days I just go down the road and buy something quickly yes. from the mall. But, but back then I couldn't and uh, it was a soft ground, you know, it was wet sort of boggy ground. So I oh, I, I kind of – I hope I don't regret telling you this. I, I got some bolts and I shoved them through the soles of my <laughs> basketball boots and did a, a fine job <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Gosh, you wouldn't be allowed to do that anymore. No, no that's the thing. Hasn't, have, hasn't life changed? That's what you had to do. Yeah, so after that, I was known as Thunderbolts at school. And, um, awesome. and for years, they still spoke about it, and they, they wondered why I didn't just give you know donate the boots to school. But um, it was actually one of those things that gave me a reputation of a, as an innovator, I think, earlier on. What took you into architecture? Um, it's quite random, actually. I mean, uh, I was keen on aviation all through school. Hmm. Um, I left, so I wasn't really... I have to say, my last year of school, I think I, I should have really gone out into the world and probably travelled a little bit. But um, So you
0: were not engaged in school?
1: No, I, I got disengaged towards the end of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more project focused, probably a bit more into exploration. Yeah, it was time to leave, I'd say, in my sixth form year. Fifth form, I did very well. Sixth form, not so. So, you know, apart from hanging out at the beach, sailing and, and doing stuff that kids do, um, I joined the Air Training Corps. So I worked at air shows. I learned to fly when I was 16 before mm. I could drive a car. Where did you fly? I had that opportunity. Uh, the Piper Tomahawk. A Piper.
0: So that's a single-engine propeller plane, right? Yeah, so
1: that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so side by side, sitting side by side. So we started off with that. It takes two mm-hmm. people? Yeah, it, took, uh, it takes two people. Yep. So, yeah, that, that was a great experience. And then I, when I left school, I... I Went to Ardmore Aerodrome and um, got a job as a what you might call a, an apprentice mechanic. Uh, worked on Cessna, one Cessna airplane. I think it was a one eight six, with an engineer rebuilding it from from scratch. We did hmm. uh, days of riveting. It was it was it was a great experience. They taught me a lot. So a,
0: how how old were you then? I uh,
1: would have been seventeen. I left home right. at seventeen.
0: So at seventeen, you start you become a an apprentice mechanic for aircraft.
1: Yeah, loosely. It wasn't a formal apprenticeship. It was mm. more just learning on site, Sure. pitching in, you know, doing mucky mm. jobs and um, and also lots of riveting and mm. um, disassembly of airframes, things like that, uh, and it just observing what the engineers were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a bit more formal training across the airfield at a place called Flight Engineers. I worked on a top dressing aeroplane called the Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they'd start me off on the tail and I'd the idea was to work my way forward, but um, the the market wasn't too good at that time. With aviation, the air force weren't taking anyone on, and New Zealand neither. So it's a mucky job, and you know I yeah I needed to get on with something else. So I, I guess it it was a, a love and rather than a career. Yeah. Um. And I found my way into a drafting office with Neil Timber at Neil timber and there was a housing division across the way and they encouraged me to start um, my qualifications for um, architectural drafting. So I did that part-time and then I've I've worked on building sites as well, which has been very um, helpful doing up houses. And then uh, I I guess I, I did my bachelor of architecture in 1993 and worked in practices, architectural practices mm. since then. Um, went to England in 98, came back in 2007 uh, with Genevieve. Um, I went initially, obviously, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and mm. um, we came back with family. Worked at one of Mahoney Architects uh, 2007 until 2012. So uh,
0: I wonder, when you, when you joined Neil Timber, uh, Draft's, uh, I was trainee draftsman or... Draft person, did you have yeah, just just draft. as a draft did you have any uh, inclination that that would be something that you wanted to do in the years prior to that or was it like no. purely like a, no. a coincidence that you joined them it was like an opening just one of those things <laughs> well so how did you find the first like the first few days or months of being uh, in, in that kind of role and learning the stuff that you were learning because before that you were working hands-on with Planes, which was, I suppose your 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 love, as you said.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was still fascinating because I guess the tech drawing background. I um, uh, my I had involvement on building sites through families, uh, friends of family. Um, mm. uh, for example, my my friend's father was a builder, so we used to work on the building sites a lot. So I, I wasn't unfamiliar with buildings, uh, putting up timber frame buildings. So uh, Neil uh, housing was a very large company and, and they supported you, so they trained you, right. uh, so it was great, and right. yeah, but just fell into it and carried on, and I, was, I was 19 years old, so you're still very malleable back then, so.
0: Flexible, suppose it's the, uh, the, the mechanical mind, uh, problem solving, suppose that you developed over the years, that, that made it like, uh, I suppose not an easy transition, but kind of natural. You can do with a kind of mindset.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember it being a problem. Uh, mm. it, it was more just getting over the fact that perhaps I just had to give up on a, a love, you know, airplanes and that kind of thing. And and you know, it was a better mm. lifestyle. You know, it was mm. a lot cleaner than working under airplanes that had um, uh, pesticides on them or fish fertilizer, you know, and things like that, and, <laughs> or or crawling down a fuselage, painting uh, the inside with PA ten uh, primer, getting high on that stuff. So yeah, I mean,
0: that sounds good stuff. Like. Chemistry, I mean, <laughs> was,
1: you know. Yeah, it's a lot easier, should I say? And um, and you could and you could, but but I must say I learned a lot. And um, down at the airfield, and I was always invited down. with that was a maiden flight for yeah. uh, a plane that was done up like the Hawker Sea Fury. That the mechanic I worked with, he did that up with another guy, and and I was always uh, phoned up and said, "I'll come down and have a look at this." So yeah, uh, yeah, it was always you know I, I maintained contact with the airfield.
0: That's a great experience. I know as a maker now, you are into drones and um, (laughs) remote-controlled planes. We can talk about that later, but I can can see how that developed over the years to still be a hobby and your love. So it's not forgotten.
1: It it never leaves you. It It, it never leaves you, to be honest.
0: Um, I know you're having fun. (laughs) So I'd I'd like to go fast forward now and try to understand how all that, like you're now an architect, how that leads you to mini-makers today um
1: uh, by chance, funny <laughs> <More> enough, chance. <laughs> I, I, well okay uh, let's say uh, i know back in 2010 while at Warren and Marnie I was researching um how to do low-level aerial photography and I was thinking okay we could apply that to architecture because you know google information wasn't that great back then and, and we needed up to date let's say not geospatial but just aerial views and it was just again you know should I could I could do some remote control flying Etc. So and also there were some graduates in the office who uh, inspired me a lot. I mean, um, they kept feeding me information. For example, mm-hmm. the DIYDrones.com page. That was hmm. that, that's a great source of information. So so in the office there are these young graduates and um, they were quite tech savvy, very tech savvy. A um, couple of them have bought a quite a large CNC machine and they were um, modelling stuff on the side, um, starting a business of their own, which was. Admirable. Um, Another guy, David Hayes, now he was sort of, you could sort of see how the profession could change, would change. Um, He had learnt, taught himself electronics and coding, I think, from the age of 12. Um, He was also, he studied architecture as well. Now he wrote an app that transformed the way we did on site defecting. Uh, We didn't need rolls of paper, you know, a large job. This was a 16 story job I was working on. Needed A ones and AOs. I mean, hmm. we were walking around after he'd got this app going with it with an iPad, and it was live. Um, it was fantastic. So when I sort of looked at the way he could, you know, with his background in coding, and he said he was never, you know, he wasn't a great coder. How he could change the way we worked, and I sort of that's been in the back of my mind since hmm. leaving Warner money hmm. I got into the maker movement unfortunately I'd say because of the Christchurch earthquakes I was yes. I've been on a job for 18 months um that sent ripples through the economy and um when it came to the end of my job there was actually nothing to move on with so architectural firms were, were shedding staff around that time uh let's say you know January 2012 so um I could have gone back into the workforce but I had a long list of DIY house renovation work <laughs> to do so I just moved on with that and Kind of in a way, I, was, I wasn't glad to leave because you know I loved working in that company, it, it was great. Um, the great bunch of people, but it, it was a good time to have a sabbatical. And, and my lovely wife, she's um very supportive. She just you know, it's like we mm. were a tag team, she just got back into her job and and developed her career. Um, she was at home with, with Genevieve, and it was my turn, All right? And um, so I, I got involved in Genevieve's education. Uh, I've now become her PA, really, which is something quite bad. <laughs> so Genevieve is <laughs> you know, your daughter. And yeah, Genevieve's my, my daughter. She's yep. um, 11 years old now. And yes. and I remember a conversation we had from age eight. I was, to, I was saying to her, look, you know, why don't we just make some really cool stuff? Because hmm. she's quite arty. She loves building things. And she's had a lot of um, influence, I guess, with our DIY work. So I I went to these Google Make groups, uh, met a guy called Tim Carr, um, Andrew uh, Dixon, Jacko van van der Merve, Richard uh, Fortune and Wellington, um, and they got me onto AUT, Auckland University Technology uh, CoLab. Um, And and there's this group of uh, makers, kind of a loose organisation of about 40 people. We had a Slack network and we just... Feed information. It was great mm-hmm. to have that amount of, that number of like minded people in the, in the space. So I tried to open up a maker space at my daughter's school without going into too much detail. It, it just wasn't the right time. Um, they, you know, primary schools weren't uh, thinking about teaching kids coding. It, it certainly wasn't in the um, Ministry of Education uh, curriculum.
0: So that's 2013?
1: Yeah. That's, I'd say, 2012, 2012, 2014. Yep. I'd say 2014, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've had a research, you know, um, pepper-potted, you know, between my DIY house DIY. And um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of change.
0: Your DIY on your house, uh, did that have anything to do with electronics, programming, automation, or was it more things like, let's change our roof tile or put a our, like our balcony in oh, the backyard?
1: No, un- unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I hadn't gone that far. I mean, two years ago, I, I hadn't started on Arduino or anything. I, right. I didn't know. I was very... It would have scared me playing with an Arduino two years ago. But now I'm quite the, comfortable with it. So,
0: but the important thing is that you had the, that you had the time, right? You had the time as part of your sabbatical, which was triggered by your DIY projects and deciding not to go back to work just yet, and that oh, yeah. triggered you joining the AUT or Auckland University of Technology in the makerspaces and connecting to other makers.
1: Yeah, but the, the problem was the 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 maker spaces the should I say the infrastructure just wasn't there in Auckland. Mm, I mean, 2012 mm. it was quite oh, different to today. I, see, I mean, yeah. it's changed a lot in five years. Um, and also to answer your question about the house DIY, to be honest, it was a lot of painting, painting, building a new kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, framing, plasterboard, you name it. You know, real, real sort of physical stuff. Um, yeah. So no, not not a lot of. Uh, I would like to do some automation in the future, but uh, not yet. Uh, so so yeah, um, I knew the local board out in a. Um, uh, well, I'm trying to say it. Puketapapa. It's a it's a Mount Rosk used to be called Mount Roskill. It's in central Auckland. Mm-hmm. They're a very forward thinking local board, and I did a um, uh, prepared a submission for uh, getting maker movement principles or. The opportunity to open a maker space at a community level. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually was quite. There was a lot of serendipity in that meeting, and they they were quite excited by it. So I we ended up getting uh, maker movement written into the local board plan, cool. which was quite cool. new, and and that shared amongst the Auckland local boards and council. So I, I don't know what effect that had, but in the end, I think it led to the opening of the creative lab that we use today.
0: Nacho, can I ask you why get into all this trouble of opening up a makerspace and doing submissions uh, at the community level? Uh, what was your motivation behind all this? Because you could just, you know, paint your house, <laughs> yes. like you didn't <coughs> need any really more work, right?
1: I, I think I think I, I sort of knew something had to be done. I guess it was out of frustration. I wanted. Um, well, not frustration. I, I thought we could change things. I mean, we, I'm involved with a larger group—forty people. You know, let's say you know we we thought we were talking about this infrastructure in Auckland. Could we get makerspaces opened?
0: Were you trying to fix something?
1: Because fix, I know that yeah, I'm try, trying to yeah, uh, I know that I'm you're trying working to get something on, started.
0: You were working on projects with uh, Genevieve. Uh, was that perhaps a motivation?
1: Well, well, yes. I mean. The problem we had at the time was you couldn't, you know, getting the right venue was mm. quite difficult. I mean, all the school halls had been monopolised by, let's say, you know, the local karate club, or religious oh, groups. for yeah. Um, so, so um, also, you know, they didn't have Wi-Fi mm. as well. Yep. Um, that's only come quite necessary uh, been recent. Yeah, so it's quite that's quite recent. So I'd say what happened in 2015, I started pilot workshops at a local school. Um, I borrowed 18 laptops from a really nice guy called Brian Lawrence. I, gave, I just phoned him up randomly he said, oh, can I borrow 18 laptops? I knew I had a recycling company. <laughs> and he said, well, I've got a spare. I've got 300 spare laptops <laughs> right back, so you can have them." That's nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you have to repair them or...? Uh, he did. Um, uh, he had agreements with corpor- uh, corporates, so any um, old laptops and PCs and IT gear went to him, and, and he repurposed them and got them into school. So um, oh, awesome. I didn't realize I didn't realize it would be that easy to get 18 laptops. To be quite frank, so um, <laughs> yeah, he <could>. yeah, <laughs> you need to ask I the really right people. The phone. Exactly. <laughs> and what software
0: is- did you put on them?
1: Oh, um, we, we taught the kids SketchUp, Tinkercad, and Sculptress. Uh, so okay. th- the objective of the February workshop was to prove, I guess, to um, Genevieve's uh, school, I, I guess, that you know, kids can, at eight years old, learn how to do digital design and 3D printing. So uh, we also teamed up with a company called Diamond Age. They manufactured uh, 3D printers in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they ran the workshop Um Helped, should I say, run the workshop. I did the design side of things and and, and they they helped with um, teaching the kids the Tinkercad, et cetera. So, um, so I, I knew more SketchUp than, than they did. But, yeah, we, we worked well together and the kids just loved it. Uh, we had 18 kids in the room. Uh, funny enough, of Genevieve's year, that was 11% of the uh, kids in Genevieve's school year from his school. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: So, can you describe how how did that work? Was it like a, a single workshop in in a month, or was it a recurring event?
1: Well, there were two workshops we we did uh, two day workshops. Hmm. Um, Eighteen kids in both classes, and a, a, again there was a, a hiatus till about October because looking for a space was difficult. Um then I got an opening in uh, Genevieve School, and I we teamed up with Code Club Aotearoa and ran coding clubs coding session, should I say, two and a half hours, uh, similar to the ones in, in uh, February, or about a two and a half, three hour session.
0: Um, I wonder for, for our listeners, perhaps, because it seems that seems to me that you took an initiative there to do something for students in your daughter's school and you pitched that mm. to the school, I suppose, so you can get space. And then again, you pitched it to school and parents, perhaps so you can get students. Is exactly. that how it worked out? And can you tell us about the, the pitch itself? What did you say that you can do for the school and for the students? Perhaps this is a lesson that our listeners can take if they are thinking of doing something similar for their school.
1: Whew, how do I frame this? I mean, back then it was quite different. Schools, I think, are a bit more receptive in Auckland, New Zealand, um, because the curriculum has changed. Back then, the curriculum had ignored technology a fair bit, uh, and, and really, I mean, it was trying to convince schools to do this. Uh, that they didn't need to if if they're ticking all the right boxes. You know, they were getting great academic results at Genevieve School. Uh, the response, the pushback I got from the principal was, for example, that it, technology is too didactic. Um, so you know, try, and, <laughs> try, and, try and you try and work that one out. So uh, yeah, uh, and so I mean, the whole purpose of starting this building a culture was it was a lot easier to work within a culture than actually doing it by yourself. I mean, sure, I could have paid for a tutor to come to our house, uh, just teach Genevieve and I. But, you know, it's better to start the culture and then have weekly goals to work to. Hmm. Because again, you've got a club, you move quicker. So um, I think I've answered the question there. It's without yeah. getting into too much detail about um, schools' responses to makerspaces.
0: So if, well, even though uh, in New Zealand and Australia, I can see that happening as well in other parts of the world, technology obviously is more integrated in school curriculum than it used to be. Yes. Do you still think that uh, a club like yours still has a place?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we're moving quite quickly now. What, what I find is uh, schools' Uh, It's like a big super tanker, you know, the the whole school system. And it's slow to change direction or even implement a new idea. But once it gets going, it's fine. My group, the mini makers, it's more agile and we would respond to anything that the schools do. So, for example, this year, Genevieve School has started teaching the kids to code. So, I mean, eventually it would take the emphasis off teaching coding to the kids and Hmm. more emphasis on the making, which... Uh, schools don't necessarily do because I I guess they're concerned about health and safety and those kind of things. So we would do more project-based stuff in response. But, yeah, I mean, there's always a place for what we do, and I'd like to see us merge with the schools or, or actually collaborate.
0: Could you give us some examples of projects that you've done in in your club? I'm looking at your Facebook page, and I can see here yeah. that you've been sampling uh, local waterways and analysing yeah. water. So science experiments. You are playing around with uh, octocopters, uh, sure, with yeah. the environment sensors, and a lot of really interesting projects. Could you just pick a couple representative ones and tell us what were the benefits for well, your students?
1: I'll- other okay. Well, I, I could sort talk about the uh, progress we made from February last year, which was critical because we weren't really going anywhere until we partnered with Auckland Council, uh, and it comes back to that Creative Lab in Wesley Community Centre being built. And then one day Jacko came to my house for a coffee, and he goes, "Hey, you're still looking for a venue?" And I said, "Yeah, you know." And he goes, "Well, the centre's open. They're looking for the people to fill it, you know, to use it." So. Mm-hmm. I was like, great, went down, spoke to the council, and, and it just went off with a bang from there. You know, we were, we were teaching, uh, running classes twice weekly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, yeah, so, so the, what we did, we started off with SketchUp and Scratch, then we moved to MBOS. But let's say May 2016, we were running out of uh, material. So one of the uh, tutors, uh, Mary Kim, she suggested we start the kids on the SparkFun curriculum. You Who know, oh, wow? Teaching yep. Teaching Arduino and C. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's it. Mira said that. look, that's how I started. And these were, I guess, nine-year-olds, nine to ten year olds last year. And then we worked through the curriculum till about October, and then we shifted to more project-based direction. Uh, because I, I got all ex- all excited about the accelerometer. We were using the MPU 6050 mm-hmm. yep. six-axis. Mm-hmm accelerometer I was like yeah this is great you know so we did some gyro stabilization projects we made a a mock autopilot and then a um, camera gimbal two and three axis camera gimbal and the kids just loved it you know we were balancing coins on this paper airplane or cardboard airplane you might see that in the Facebook page videos we did PIR activated uh, cameras and by towards the end of the year the kids were building their first Arduino robot and beginning to program it. So, was that the RedBot, or did you make it from scratch? Built it from scratch, um, awesome. with, with the assistance of uh, the supplier. So, um, so there was lots of soldering. We taught all the kids to solder, and the tutors uh, from from AUT were just laughing because they were they were going back to uni, revving up their mates, going, "Look, are ten year olds who can solder better than <laughs> you." That's great. <laughs> So, yeah, the, you know, the, we didn't have any injuries, just uh, one, one, poor, <laughs> one, one, one poor kid, sort of lovely, lovely boy, uh, held the soldering iron the wrong end. That's about what <laughs> we've got. Um, I've, I've done and it. I must say, yeah, most of our injuries were actually glue, glue gun injuries. That yep. that was probably the most um, uh, biggest weapon of mass destruction <laughs> in our uh, workshops. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, This year we've done, we experimented with uh, addressable LED strips and the kids Mm -hmm. loved those because it was interactive and we started putting sensors on them. Um, I'm just looking through my notes here and lost track a little bit, but okay, yeah. The citizen science introduction was uh, term two this year. Um, and there's a challenge. Oh, yeah, we found E. coli, high levels of E. coli yeah. in the local stream. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was okay. that was interesting. To, and um, so from that, we had a challenge from the scientist at NIWA, you know, can you make me a decent incubator that can be used by citizen scientists group? So, yes, we're starting on a prototype with that. And I've made a 3D printable prototype. Um, so it should be ready in a, a few weeks.
0: How are you hitting it? Uh, we've got
1: some heating, got some, uh, heating pads. Okay. A
0: peltier.
1: I think there's type. three or five volt heating pads. And then there's a, a small little computer fan that keeps the air flowing like an oven. Cool. And there's, and we've got three, whether that's un- uh, necessary three, uh, temperature sensors in there just to make sure it's all matched up. So Very see sharp. how it goes. Yeah. Cool. So we're also using the, uh, that ESP 8266, um, chip. Um, it's a little Wi-Fi module yeah, the Wi-Fi module can link to a mobile phone app. So, yeah, yeah, so early days of that, we'll see how it goes. It's taken a while to come out of the um, 3D printer, but it's, um, it's, it's looking good, you know. That, that's one of the projects I have to do and introduce it to the kids and say, look, this is what we can do. So, How do you go about introducing a project of that complexity to the kids? Because that's quite, a, that's beyond university level. Well, the, the, that's the thing. The, the tutors are uh, have a, always have a giggle when they turn up to um, the workshops because they're like saying, we, we started this our first year at uni and, um, <laughs> you know, the kids are enjoying it. But to me, the philosophy behind doing these projects is if they don't take it in 100%, you know, eventually they, they will. Let's they start at 20%. They, they get a little bit of it, then they understand the principles later. It's a bit like um, when I was a kid. Even at their age, we were pulling apart lawnmowers with um, old <laughs> brothers and doing up cars. You know, couldn't ask me to put a lawnmower together, but I sort of know the principles, how things go together, you know. <laughs> and um, so it's the same thing. That if you just keep repeating the process and how it's done, it clicks. Uh, some
0: some osmosis. are learning
1: faster. Yeah, so some are learning faster than others. You yeah, know, like osmosis for sure.
0: Could you tell us in your experience with your, uh, with your Maker Club, uh, some of the – Harder periods in the kids' learning journey. So, what are the kind of things that they, I suppose, stumble across that uh, then you can you try to help them out by, or a mentor does, or uh, because I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not all fun. Right. Yeah, there's,
1: there's some periods where it's harder than others. Yeah, one of the impediments we've uh, come across was actually getting things built because the 3D printer uh that was supplied by the council was wasn't that reliable i mean you know it needed maintaining all the time and i guess we weren't knowledgeable enough in that area um so with our uh, led lamps it's been a bit of a bottleneck getting stuff uh, laser cut at aut because you know i have to it's an all-day affair going there with the car parking it in the auckland council car park and and sitting there and feeding the stuff into the machine it's like you know
0: is that what you do or do your students do that
1: Oh, the students wouldn't be able to do that. They'd be at school, and, and I'd just have to do this during the day.
0: Right. Now, I was thinking of uh, places or areas, or times in, uh, and like in the students' learning journey where they get frustrated or stuck with something. Just wanted to see what kind of techniques you use to help them get through those periods.
1: Um, we have a higher number of tutors, so hmm. uh, we have about a one to four st- uh, student. What am I saying? The People ratio, student ratio, yeah, yeah. Um, which is quite a You can't do that in a school. So no. what we do is we just have tu- have uh, stu- uh, tutor numbers there, and really the questions are asked in different different ways. I mean, frustration. Um, I mean, I'm not saying we're pushing the kids to the limits, but we make it fun, hmm. and and if we make it relevant, and you can and you might have seen what we did with the mouse trap, for example, how we. Um, yeah. yeah, we trigger the uh, mousetrap using the. Okay, I was going to ask can you to describe the mousetrap. Oh, we're, we're just trying to. Uh, when I teach, when we teach the kids a, a lesson or something like that, we we try and do our best to put a narrative into it. Um, so there's a sense of purpose. So, for example, you know, uh, we use the tilt and impact uh, sensor and an infrared sensor for use of a, of a possible pest control trap, you know, rat trap. If you've ever come across the Predator Free New Zealand by 2050 initiative that they're running here, it's sort of oh. along those lines. So so, so so, there's a story there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it shocked them a bit when I said, oh, look, how about you bring your own rat in? will yeah. we'll have a go. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, oh, my God. You know, the, there's a lot of humour in the class. And it's yep. as, as keeping the right. kids engaged. Yeah. You, just keep, you, you just keep talking to them and um, show them, Ways around a problem. Um, they're not—they're not just left there to sort of yeah. be blank faced or anything. That we're constantly at them. If they look like they're not doing anything, we'll, we'll just talk to them. It's as simple as that.
0: So that four to one ratio between students and mentors—that's mm. very impressive. I suppose that's one of the differences between a school-run maker club I don't know, that runs during their normal class time. And uh, something like what you've made, like the thing's very hard to achieve the kind of ratio in a normal school situation. And yeah. it, it's also an ingredient for preventing uh, frustration, keeping students, yeah. uh, I suppose in in the zone as they are progressing towards the goal, which it's something that you have put in a story, like the, the mousetrap thing that there's a story there, the student, is part of the story as they're building, whatever they are building. So this this elements put together an experience that is far from frustrating. So you're you're in the zone. You're progressing towards your goal. And you're learning a lot. Is that, uh, is that how yeah, it works?
1: Exactly. And and it's also it's also the tutors are, are different as well. I mean uh, they're younger. They're, they're in their twenties. They relate well to the kids. Um, and we've got Michaela on board as well. She's sixteen, and you know the girls love her and. It's just the tutors, it just seems to work. And what we've less, if we go up to, let's say, one to six, you feel it as a tutor. You think yeah. you're just going nowhere and you're, you're getting bombarded by questions. And, um, you know, it's a bit, bit too daunting for, I guess, an untrained teacher. So we seem to manage to keep the momentum rolling at one to four and to keep them engaged. And focused. Yeah. I think that that's Have the you, primary. How do you go about acquiring tutors? Oh, I'm very fortunate there. I ring up Harry Silver at uh, A U T and I go, "Help, uh, I need a tutor." <laughs> 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 and he, and he puts to work he puts the word. a uh, He he puts a word out on his Facebook page, and then uh, I get an email. Simple as that. Uh, the sure. t- I've got tutor loyalty. I, I, I've got tutor loyalty as well because uh, uh, rather than volunteers, I I, I we pay them. As well, for oh, the time.
0: Hmm. So it's who you know
1: again. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that, it's important because when you think of it, one of the goals is to get the tutors off um, driving trucks or or serving ice cream, you know, and, <laughs> and things like that. It's uh, the number of postgrads I see just wasting their time. I mean, sorry, postgrads, but I mean, you know, you re, you know, it's it's a pity to hear that yes. postgrads are driving countdown trucks or something like that.
0: Or well, now it's Uber driving
1: Uber. Driving Uber. I mean, there's there's other ways. There's got to be other ways that's that, that's relevant. So um, it provides employment as well, um, helps them develop their career.
0: Nigel, uh, could you describe as your plan for taking over the world? Say in 2018, what's in the future for you?
1: Oh my
0: goodness, I, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> We're not telling anybody. Uh, just between us.
1: Yeah, no. On, honestly, honestly, my, my focus at the moment is. I mean, we've started off with. Last year, February last year, we started off with 24 kids, two classes of 12. There seems to be an ideal number in the lab of about, it's lovely at about 10 to 12, sometimes down to seven. It's great. You just feel a calmness in there and you get a lot of momentum. Uh, Big numbers aren't our goal. It's quality. And we're we're growing with the kids. We're not taking on new blood, uh, younger kids. Uh, The reason for that is I'd like to see our We've got now a hardcore of ten. I'd like to see those kids become the tutors and mm. run it later, and we take more of a back step. So as far as world domination goes, it's just getting them. I mean, we've got to get them through damn puberty as well. You know? <laughs> Excuse me. You. Yeah, but we've got we've got intermediate school next year, they're and they're, they've obstacles. got a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, a lot of obstacles, and and just keeping them focused. And I can't can't conquer the world. I mean, perhaps I could work uh, correspondence courses or something like that i could help that's another
0: way i was just a bit cheeky when i said that but it's more of a relevant term like what is in your future Uh, and the world is like it's your world i'm not not necessarily Mm -hmm. the the global world we call earth (laughs) but uh, how do you think that uh, your group will change over the next year and I think you've answered that so you you're sticking with the cohort that you have because you want to see them through as they are grow as they grow older and you actually grow uh, older with them i mean in in the way that you run the group but you for the benefit of our listeners do you think that your method of running or your approach to running a mini maker group is something that anyone can implement in the local school, the local area, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: Firstly, if I was school administration, I I would engage with specialists. Teachers aren't trained to Mm -hmm. uh, keep up to date with technology. They've got enough on their plate with report writing and um, the ratios are too high, you know, um, 16 or 20 or 30 kids to one teacher is just not going to work because you, you have to dumb everything down to um, to keep the kids engaged. So, you know, you, you're going to stick on MIT, MIT Scratch for, forever or maybe onto just Python or something. Uh, as far as project work goes, it's it's harder. I'd say if there was ever a skill shortage, you can engage perhaps some um, graduates. So you need to get some young people in who relate to the students as well. Um, bring the tutor ratio down to like what we've got. Mm. How do you engage with schools? I mean, it, I, I'm finding that the schools have their own KPIs. It's very hard, very difficult to to mesh with them, so, so so to speak. Yeah. So you know, we could integrate as as best we can, but it's really up to the schools to embrace groups like mine, parent-led. I mean, how, how many parents are like me as well with with the spare time to do this?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, like you've put a lot of effort and time in this and uh, not everybody has that capability and the free time. Uh, do you think it was worth it after all this time? Could you have done something different with your time, ha- have more fun even?
1: Um, well, no, to, to be honest, uh, I could have ignored everybody and just gone to uni and, and um, done a degree in uh, mechatronics or something. Mm. But at the same time, I didn't really want to go back to school. So this is one way of myself um learning, it might the process pathway might be a bit slower. I'll end up returning to architecture probably soon, you know. Um, also, I, I love working with Genevieve. And, as a job, again? Yeah, I'd oh, say so. Okay. I, I'd, I'd say so, I, I, I just return as a job, probably not so uh, full on doing large buildings. I might just do residential scale. Um, okay. I'd say that, that would be my, my goal. Uh, keep the club running part-time and because now we've, we've pretty much got everything established. All of the networks are in place. When you look at it that way, we could scale up, but that's another level. But at the moment, I think the next two years getting the kids through intermediate school puberty, you know, ha- how they change up to like the age of 13, that's yeah. going to be our major uh, hurdle. Keep in, keep in, keep learning.
0: Uh, how do, have the, the kids in the club, your daughter, of course, and then the other kids, uh, as you're following them through the years, how have they changed their their outlook, the things that they are interested in? (laughs) Um, Tell us about the changes you've seen in
1: the kids. That's a a good question. Um, I've seen kids who were quite unfocused and class clowns Hmm. become very focused. I've seen my daughter, for example, she is doing some amazing uh, stuff with code. She seems to have uh, cracked uh, C. She's doing, you know, I'm um, I'm asking them questions, and I, if you might see some of the, on some of the videos, I'm, I'm going, how did you do that? Um, <laughs> 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 the kids keep surprising us with what they're doing, um, even with the LED strips. You know, uh, uh, I like what Gina did with her narrative of uh, Bob and Ben or something, and then red and blue lights. Uh, crossing each other, you know, um, they do their own thing. And I think what we've got to do is keep encouraging them to do personal research. I mean, here's the other thing with the um, uh, membrane keypad. I gave it to a couple of the girls who were uh, ahead. One of them was Genevieve, and I was a bit, I was thinking, oh, okay, we're not really prepared for this. And next thing you know, the, the girls are just looking up on on the internet how to use it, you know. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Yep.
0: <laughs> so they they know how to research. Right? They they've cracked that. They know how to find things out without your
1: help. They're independent. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say six months ago they weren't there. Now uh, the advanced ones are starting to do that, and the and the others will follow. Oh, this year at the beginning of this year we, we took on four kids from a local low decile school, I I, I don't like dwelling on the fact that they're from um, a low decile area, which is poorer. Um, It makes no difference Hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Um, They were thrown in the deep end. Uh, The other kids were a year ahead of them. (laughs) They were thrown in the deep end. And I said, look, you know, you're going to start to start on Arduino and see, you know, and they surprised me. They, They didn't need to start on scratch. They went straight into Arduino. All right. Is that because they were exposed to scratch previously? or No, they just they had no prior knowledge. Straight into Arduino. That's amazing. That's Are great. you shocked? Blastardly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I am quite surprised at that. I mean, you know, you, you just challenge the kids. They seem to just uh, pick up the ball and run with it. But you've got to be there to help them. Um, I think the, the kids' biggest... Challenge is you're there to break it down into the small steps. I mean, if a, a classic, if you've ever read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, it's um, <laughs> the, the classic romantic split. I'm trying to get them away from just seeing the big picture and uh, and just getting scared, you know, of this big picture that you can't break down into small bits. You've got to teach them to break mm-hmm. things down into small, manageable parts and then deal with each part. That that is really the underlying purpose of the. Um, of the club
0: so make sure that the kids are not overwhelmed right that's the essence of breaking things down the small parts
1: yeah and and they they see how you do that for example this term uh i mean i I did introduce design brief writing a couple of terms ago and we've got them started on uh let's say their own projects this term uh not all of them are, are fully confident but it was just a test you just got to try them out. I mean, one of the first questions I said this term was, who's ready to start their own project?
0: So what what's a design brief? Could you describe that?
1: Well, you, you know, you, you, you've got to say, what is it? What is its purpose? But when you look at the, let's say, four stages of design thinking, you've got to have a purpose. Uh, you've got to, oh, you've got to have a a need. Obviously, you've got to have, that is the purpose, mm-hmm. a need or a wish, or you haven't got something. Uh, so it's a problem. You've got to start with the problem. Uh, and then you've got to, think of a solution. You've got to build a prototype and then you've got to go through that design iteration. I must say mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is the, the hardest thing for the kids to do because design iteration, they have to understand that the prototype is not where it finishes or the prototype doesn't have to look flash. These are, I mean, in this consumer world where pretty much pretty much every kid thinks that Technology is something you buy from, it's not Leaming right. or Dick Smith, you know, smartphone. It's, a, it's an artifact. It's not an artifact. Uh, actually, technology is a process as well. So, trying to instill into these kids that nothing is perfect until you've gone through that development stage. And mm. I'm not saying that they'll, they'll reach Nirvana yet, but, you know, we're, we'll set them along that path. I, I think that'll be the hardest thing for them to do. Is, is accept that what their first first prototype and second prototype aren't perfect, then they have to yeah. get the confidence to build and, and model it and change it and fail and break. Agile. You know, it's <laughs> an agile
0: Creativity is iterative.
1: So you brought that design thinking from your world of architecture? Uh, I'd say that's come from architecture, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've even worked with people that uh, – when I was managing jobs, I mean, i passed on changes to them. And, and I remember one particular guy, he, he wouldn't change things after the third attempt. Even though, <laughs> though I'd redlined it clearly, <laughs> you know, even adults can't do this. You know, so <laughs> I mean, teaching kids that resilience at an earlier age to, to keep working on something. Yeah, And there's a sense of ownership as well, because I mean, if you buy something, you play with it, you just chuck it in the bin uh, when you've, you know, when there's really not, nothing else to do with it, you can actually make your own things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an attachment. I mean, I think Chris Anderson did write about this as well in um, Makers. You know, the, the the new industrial revolution. That there was um, some psychological attachment to something that you mm-hmm. understood. You've so, taken it. That could be it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're working on that. Right. Um, so citizen science, changing. Yeah, perhaps with citizen science, we could change the world. You know, we'll we'll get those drone projects flying and uh, take some aerial photographs eventually. So, yeah, yes. okay. I was going to say. So, what are you going to bring back to architecture when you're back to the workforce? Um, okay, well, three D printing architectural models would be quite easily easy to do. Oh, yeah, we've um, bought a three D printer March this year, so I have that at home. Hmm. Um, I've become more familiar with three D printing. What you get now. I got a um, a box from a three D printing system. So The reason why I went that way is for, um, with that machine rather than Ultimaker is because um, it's reliable. I mean, I found out that Weta workshops use it. I phoned up. Yep. You know, I phoned up Weta. I, I I did what um, Marcus did uh, to, to Chris. Only I didn't get the phone slammed down on me. Um, and that's the beauty of New Zealand. You know, that's what. I will say that New Zealanders are a, a wonderful, with, uh, in that you could just phone pretty much anyone up, even up, uh, even Jacinda Ardern. You can, uh, I've heard, you can phone her up and ask how to pronounce her name. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, I found out where to studios, and I, I asked them, you know, what have you got? And they said, oh, look, we've got twelve of these things, and we've thrashed them, and and we've only broken one and I've, I've heard now they've got something like 25 so they're fine so great. It, it's very reliable It's sure. very good to know yeah yeah and so it's 3d printing systems that company when we did our they- kickstarter project we did everything on 3d printing We had five 3d printers up boxes from 3d printing systems and the support that we got from them was great oh so you run one as well do you uh, we did a kickstarter years back and he's one of the oh, okay. top from 3d printing systems and yeah that company was great mm-hmm. oh that's good to hear yeah um i'm going to a google meetup tomorrow actually with the uh, distributor um he started bruce. his uh, meetup in bruce good old bruce <laughs> yes oh I'll, I'll say hi hi to bruce for you <laughs> 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 he's got some interesting projects over us, though. so as far as next year i mean he's he's Prototyping some swarm robots. Um, so, oh. as far as teaching the kids machine learning and AI, I mean, that that we might do that next year. Um, I mean, we'll build these art, um, robots that we have now and um, the robot arms and everything else that the kids want to do, but I'll introduce those next year at some stage once he's ready. How
0: much do you think that the topics that you introduce to your group, because you have keen interest in them, <laughs> rather than what the students want to learn?
1: Um, I thought initially, I mean, you could joke that, oh, Nigel, you're doing this for you and not for the kids. But um, (laughs) I, I, I did take my hexacopter drone to the first workshop and I said, look, hey, what do you think of this? And they rubbished it. So um, they, they said, <laughs> what? Oh. They, Seriously? They, they said, that's not a drone. That's not a drone. That's not That's not going to fly, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, he's so cruel. And, um, no, so they were more into robot arms and Bluetooth speakers. Oh, disappointing. Um, will- <laughs> you should try again with that. <laughs> I, I did say to them, look, we'll teach you how to fly, I <laughs> <laughs> remote control planes at a, a local model club and yeah. they perked up for that so um especially when we'll use a uh, a simulator because i'd I like to get them started on a simulator first
0: got to insist hey yeah. nigel um apart from the design and art of motorcycle maintenance what other books or book would you recommend to people what has influenced you actually to be more specific in doing what you're doing now
1: okay so if you look at uh, architecture-wise, the Dutch modernists are, are great people. I like the Dutch. I love the Dutch. They they certainly know how to uh, maximise what they have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'd know. say… Is there a particular book? Oh, no. I mean, you you talk about Aldo van Eyck and mm. Hertzberger. They're, they're quite old now, that kind of… Uh, there's also Glenn Merkitt. There's Brenda and Robert Vale I've been influenced by… Uh, I liked Earthships. If you look up Earthships in New Mexico, if you're into sustainability, oh, um, okay. I must say, right bleeding edge at the moment, there's a guy called Joris Laman. Um, he did the bone chair, and he's also building a 3D printable bridge using robots So have built. Um, uh, you'll see that link. I've just put it on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at that. Yeah, that's where it's. Going to, I mean, really, when, when we go back to architecture, the link between your piece, uh, one's PC as a designer, and the prefabrication plants and robots is just going to get yeah. closer. Now, he's, he's writing he, for the bone chair, he, um, his group wrote an algorithm that uh, mimicked um, the growth of bones. So, there's structural wow. efficiencies in there. Uh, and it sort of raises the question how much. Will the computer take over the design process or design development? Because the design iteration in this case was done by the computer. It morphed the design into something very efficient. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's something. I mean, also, what's going to happen at a, when we reach AI? Are we going to talk to the robots and, and say, hey, how are you going? You know, like rather than offering a beer to the workman, you'll offer a battery to the robot. I, I don't know how it will go. <laughs> so also, I'd say makers, Chris Anderson when when you don't ring them up at four in the morning. Um, <laughs> I look at the time zones. I have a general sense of awareness. You, 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 did, you did. I have faith. I have faith in Chris Anderson. Um, makers, the New re- Industrial Revolution uh, was a good book to read. Aviation, Alexander Lippish is certainly, and the Horton brothers uh, way back in the war, certainly somebody to read about. They um, Their designs were influenced by nature. I mean, they they developed tailless airplanes, which are very efficient. I'd say Sustainability, Cradle to Cradle by William McDonough and uh, Michael Braungart. Um, So that's about regenerative design. I think everyone should read that, plus many, many more books. So they're they're the main ones I thought about.
0: Well, you're going to keep us busy um have <laughs> got a lot of reading to do well it is christmas coming up i are going to have a little bit more time for reading so i'm going to look through your catalog <laughs> and pick a few uh, i was looking at uh, earth ship uh, biotexture there's a lot of very interesting pictures just to look at the pictures there of what kind of designs people come up uh to build uh, homes right this is mainly for homes yeah. that exactly. yeah. are efficient in terms of energy consumption you know Uh, efficient in terms of materials used and so on quite interesting so thank you for that we're going to put all that in the show notes
1: yeah i mean that's where when you look at earthships you can see arduino the use of arduino in there do
0: you think you could uh, you could have say a a bio or earthship or bioship project in your group see what the students come up with that's a
1: Quite a large house to build. It's got to oh, fit in my it, car. It could yeah, be a model. It we could, could build a model. Stu- Honestly, stu- I'm, I'm stu- taking. Oh no, I'm, I'm pulling your leg. We we could <laughs> at some stage there will be field trips, and I, I, I guess we could build a model greenhouse and put uh, the DHT11 sensor in there, for example, temperature and humidity, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know just just smart, look smart the environmental zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and really, it's up to the kids if they if we, we'll offer project topics and if that inspires them, we, we follow it.
0: Hmm.
1: At the moment, we're dealing with youngsters and some of them, uh, we're still teasing out to them, you know, what do you like doing when you're not at school? Uh, you know, we, we've got to get them off gaming. Uh, that's the other thing. I mean, oh, um, yeah. I'm not anti-gaming, but when you look at time management and I mean, what we did as a kid, we spent our time in kind of a tactile environment. We, we, we did a lot more and we learned a lot more. Uh, we didn't waste so much time on gaming i'm gonna sound pretty old when i say that but you know i've got to agree
0: with you as well like i see you now <laughs> with my kids <laughs> yeah. and like keeping them getting them out is a big challenge our parents never exactly. had the problem they had to deal with
1: yeah great okay there's a lot to do and we'll, we'll get the drones going as well get those drones flying
0: yeah, I think that's big fun. That's good fun. And it gets you out of the house as well. I did a, a drone course uh, last uh, August, I think, and it was probably the first project that I've done that actually got me out of my lab and into a park. And I got the kids there yeah, as well. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I'm following your course. I mean, um, you built the quadcopter, and yeah. um, I've, just couple of, I've just stuck a couple of arms on it and called it a hexacopter. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's the same thing, really, isn't it? So I'll follow that course over the summer and um, see how
0: it goes. Yeah, that's why I like these technologies that do get you out and combine technology with the outdoors. And uh, Mm, I think that's a good combination. Well, I think uh, we just hit an hour. So I'd like to ask you for any closing remarks, maybe some advice for People in your position say the kids are growing, they want to do some more tech innovation, making stuff with them, uh, maybe in collaboration with the local school uh, or any advice in general that you might have?
1: Okay. Uh, one tip would be if your kids are interested in coding, make sure, well, the schools usually have coding classes. That's the first thing you do. Get in coding. There's like a code club out here, there's the Khan Academy, Gosh, I'm, I'm thinking there's quite a few online courses you can do. Yeah. Making, uh, not every family are makers these days because, I mean, they're, they're professionals, lawyers, doctors, mm. you name it. So there's not really a workshop that we had back in my day. Um, so perhaps how would you overcome that? You 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 can take them to a makerspace, for example. Uh, there's Tap Lab. There's community centres that Auckland Council will open. There's um, a place called Tap Lab in Teatatu that's in Auckland. There's some out East Auckland and West Auckland and and Wesley. So look for the maker clubs uh, and get involved. Really, maybe lobby the schools into making uh, opening a makerspace in the school. They're, they're quite they're quite easy to create. So um so yeah, there's, there's a lot you can do as a parent to talk to the school and hopefully the school will collaborate and um, be open minded.
0: Yep, there's opportunities everywhere. It definitely does, yeah. And as you said earlier, like even if you do pitch this to a school, the school doesn't really have to run it. The teachers don't really have to put any time there. I'm sure the community, the local universities uh, will be very interested in providing the expertise and the time to help out.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I guess if you're in Auckland, just drop me a line as well. Um, mm-hmm. My email is gmail.com. It's, I mean, you know that that's yep. where it is at the moment. We've uh, oh, we started a company. Yeah, we started a company as well. Funny enough, um, uh, we're now Create Innovation Limited. Okay. So the the Auckland Mini Makers fit under that. But I haven't got the web page up and running. So the idea in the future, you know, we'll we'll build stuff and maybe sell it. Um, that's something mm-hmm. else. That the kids might learn. That uh, the you know if they perfect something, it's something that, that they can be sold. It could be sold online, and they can get some pocket money for it. It
0: so, can be monetized. They become entrepreneurs, and you they get them into a whole new you no know, area of I think like innovation and entrepreneurship. A whole area of uh, of knowledge that I suppose schools just ignore. But there you go. Yeah,
1: you, they're, you they're starting the to. Um, they're starting to embrace that. I mean, kids mm. are. Native traders from day one, you, you see them selling orange juice on the footpath, you know, they they, they role play. Um, so, yeah, as soon as I mentioned money to, well, oh, yeah, that next year, we're, um, here's another thing parents could do. Uh, find out where the um, science fairs or um, uh, science competitions are and work backwards. Um, encourage mm-hmm. schools to enter mm-hmm. in science contests yeah. at the moment. We're preparing the kids, the mini makers, for uh, Niwa Sci Fair and uh, Bright Sparks uh, next year, September next year. Hopefully, most of them might might get there. You know, they're still fairly young. We'll see how that works, but it's a it's a goal. So
0: that's in Auckland, right?
1: That's right. That's in yep. Auckland. Great. So um, I'd say the kids are ready, and that they're they're growing up quickly. Awesome. They're, they're maturing quickly, and I'd say intermediate school they'll be. Uh, ready for it? I'm I'm hope, I'm hoping most of them will be ready to enter something, just as a just as a trial, you know. And then the following year, 2019, they'll they'll be dead keen, especially if there's a thousand dollars prize money. I mentioned that to them actually. <laughs> I said, "Oh, who's up for thousand dollars?" <laughs> and everyone just went mad. You know, went ape. Ooh, you know, so. <laughs> Nothing, they respond well to money. I
0: mean, nothing that, uh, <laughs> that beats a little motivation. Like imagine the the cross between doing something that you actually really love doing, like making stuff, and there's a little bit of money in it, it just makes it doubly good.
1: Yeah, it makes it makes a dollar per day pocket money sort of yeah. nothing. Yeah. It gets serious. They they think of thousands of million, you know. <laughs> That's really amazing. It's all relevant. They're, they're, they're lovely kids. They're lovely kids. So, yeah. Well,
0: Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. Really appreciate you. uh, picking your brain and your experience in all this. Uh, I think you're doing an amazing thing there. The kids are very lucky to have you. And uh, let's see how we go next year. Uh, we'll be in Yeah,
1: touch. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it may be a slight drop off, uh, I'd say, beginning of the next year because getting the kids to um, the workshops is one thing, but we'll see. We might have some new ones. We'll we'll box on. Um, I, again, we're more concerned about quality yep. of the workshops, and you know we we still operate on eight. You know it doesn't matter. We don't need twenty four. We don't need to boast about numbers. Put it that way. That that's not what we're after. That's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. But I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to look forward to. No, it's awesome stuff. And uh,
0: like, who knows what you can kind come of up, what the kind of projects that you're going to come up with uh, next year. And I think the kids are also going to start uh, proposing and 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 working on projects that you perhaps haven't thought of and bring their own ideas. And that's the idea, isn't it?
1: They are. Uh, they are. And one of the boys, for example, he said, I want to be an electrical engineer when I grow up. Hmm. That's there you go. That's what, uh, Tick that that's box. one of the questions. Last week. Success. Take that box of success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, we'll see how that goes. He might change his mind, but um, he may be one of these professionals that wear, who can wear two hats, but like David Hayes, you know, uh, with architecture, he can write his own app. You never know.
0: All the skills can be transferred to so many different things. Or anything you learn in the makerspace is something that you can carry with you for a long time, no matter what you do. Even if you become a lawyer, I think it's going to be useful. Exactly. It's just a kind of logic.
1: Exactly. Particularly when you're dealing with people, client-based, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's there's, there's certainly a lot of scope out there. I, I think I think coding is going to be as important as well, how do you say? It's probably more important than learning a foreign language. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It might be as important as your job. It might be part of your job.
0: It's a new literacy. You've got to talk to computers exactly. in the language. Exactly, yeah.
1: Great, thank you. Thank well, you. good Good chatting to you, Peter, and uh, nice meeting you, Marcus. So we'll, um, like. we'll be in touch soon, I guess. We will be. Great.
0: Thank you. Have a good day.
1: Okay, all right, Andrew. Bye-bye.
0: That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse, that is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E.